We appreciate you and would love to give you the opportunity to grow with your fellow craft beer professionals. Be sure to mark your calendars for June 19th to 21st, 2023 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin for CBP Connects presented by Arrive POS. Join other industry decision makers for a networking and educational experience like none other. Three nightly receptions, two days of interactive workshops, and one not-to-miss experience. I can't wait to see you in Milwaukee. Visit cbpconnects.com to lock in your spot. See you there. Hello, everybody. Operating one business is tough, but what sparks the desire to not only open a brewery, but also winery or more? We will dive into why our panelists chose this model, strategies for success, lessons they have learned over time, and items for you to consider if looking into a similar concept. But first, let's meet our guest. And Clay, because you are to the right of me, you get to go first. All right. How's everything going in Florida today? Oh, it's good. It's good. It's cold down here today. We're like in the 50s, mid 50s. Uh, so I got my sweater, one of the three sweaters I own. <laughs> I love it. So tell us a little bit more about what you do in the world of, well, you work in a lot of different spaces, Clay. So why don't you give that introduction? Yeah, thank you. So we're a 40 acre farm. I've uh, been a farm here about 40 years, uh, about 20 years ago, uh, started making wine with blueberries that we were growing. And uh, since then, we've gotten into making cider and beer. Um, we have a, a tasting room and kind of a farm experience that's open seven days a week. Uh, we also distribute the wine and cider throughout the state of Florida. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to learn from you today. Thanks again, Clay. Thanks for having me. Barbara, you're up. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. How about yourselves? I can't complain. And, you know, you're not too far from me. We're both in the state of Virginia, and I feel like I'm going to have to visit soon now. You are going to have to come say hello. Yes. So I look forward to that face-to-face -face encounter. But, you know, for everyone who hasn't met you before, what do you do in the world of beer and wine, Barbara? So um, we started planting grapes in 2015 with the idea that we are just going to open. Well, actually, we we're just going to grow grapes and sell them. Quickly realized that is not sustainable. So we thought, well, we'll just do a small little tasting room. And then probably about uh, three or four years ago, um, our third son started being a cider maker at one of the local cideries. And we got to thinking that of all the breweries and wineries that we went to, not any of them had any other offerings aside from what they were known for. So we thought, well, we'll go ahead and do cider. It is a wine product. It's not that far out. But again, that doesn't appeal to everyone. So my son's mentor was a brewer, and uh, and he said he would uh, teach my son how to brew beer. So we kind of came around. It's the same equipment for the most part. Um, so we came around and said, we'll, we'll do all three, and we'll actually add hard seltzer to the mix as well. So, yeah, so that's kind of where we are right now. And since then, I don't know if anyone else has noticed, but I think there's a lot more of either the wines offering a beer or uh, a brewery offering a wine but not any of them are making all three products. A lot of them are kind of pulling from everybody else. So we thought we'd give it a try, see it happen. Awesome. I'm excited to learn how it's going for you so far. I mean, you yeah. opened in October of 2022, correct? Yeah, we've only been open three, uh, six weeks. We're only open for weekends. Um, we had a bit of trouble. We have a Deutsch system, which is wonderful, but uh, we've had it for three years. We started this project in 2020. Great time to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, kind of everything went on hold. So trying to get back into the Deutsch um, pipeline to have it all fitted out, up and running, it took a little bit longer than we anticipated. Um, so we ended up getting some some licenses to allow us to serve beer from other vendors from our immediate area. And um, it's been very well received. So And the people around us have been really welcoming and the other vendors have been really nice um, about letting us use their guest taps. So awesome. At this point, are you serving your own beer yet? Um, he just put his own brew into kegs. It is carbonating as we speak. So as of Friday this week, um, we will be serving our own beer as well as our cider. So oh, huge congratulations on that. Yeah, it was, it was a long time coming. Oof. You got this. Now, Tamara, you're up. Tell everybody else a little bit about what you do in the world of you know beverage. Uh, so I'm located in Atlanta area. We're just outside Atlanta. Um, we actually started as a meadery seven years ago and, um, everybody of course knows what meat end is. <laughs> I'm sure you don't, uh, <laughs> it happens all the time. So it's, it's, uh, it's a wine made with honey instead of grapes. Um, so we opened seven years ago in a very small space, about 1500 square feet. 
uh, we moved to our new location, which is about 5,000 square feet. Uh, and our grand opening here was during the pandemic. <laughs> so I understand, Barbara, exactly what you're going through. We were so excited. And our grand opening was April 1st, I think. So which is two weeks after the, uh, the start of all the lockdowns. Um, so we had our grand opening this year. Uh, we decided, screw it, we're just going to do it anyways. Um, but anyway, so we, um, when we, we didn't have space at our old location to add beer to it. We were using um, kegerators for our uh, tap system. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we made it work, you know. Um, so we had about 18 taps with the kegerators. And um, our new location here, we have 48 taps. Um, we 48 see, taps, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're not always full. Um, How many of those taps, Tamara, or Mead? Um, anywhere between, uh, there are about 20 of them that are mead. Um, we do sours and um, sessions. Our signature meads, we have six signature meads that are out in distribution always. Um, and those are 11%. Um, so those are always on tap. They're always in distribution. Uh, we have a couple seasonals that we keep. Um, and then the rest of them are sessions and ciders. Um, we like to say that our staff is, everybody that works for us is a mead maker. So if you have an idea, give us the ingredients that you want to get and we'll throw it on a tap and see what the what the audience thinks. In fact, uh, one of our ciders um, that one of our production guys made uh, a month ago was gone in a weekend. So I said, all right, well, now you're making 20 gallons. So get on it. Um, <laughs> uh, and so then we added the brewery two years ago. Um, and uh, that has been a completely different adventure um because in well i'm sure rules are pretty similar to most places but you know they have to have a separation of where the brewery is and the brewery equipment compared to where all the winery equipment is because it's managed by two different departments in the government um so they have to be separate for whatever reason um <laughs> so we have our brewery area um that's uh separate we have some alternating premises that we use for um the meadery as well um, but the brewery is just in-house. Uh, we distribute a little bit of the beer, but not too much. Um, but it's mostly meant for in-house. So that way, when people come in, they can try the meads, they can try the ciders, they can try the beer. So there's a little bit for everybody. We always say with 48 taps, there's really no reason for you to not have something you like. No, I love that. And you touched on so many aspects. We're going to dive deeper. Into. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's fantastic. It's a big teaser there. I mean, you talked about the education, you know, especially you know, with regard to me teaching people what it is in many fronts, because they might not be aware. You talked about how it's great to diversify your offerings, the challenges you face in production. I mean, I feel like I could just ask you questions for an hour now, but I want to involve you, claim Barbara in this as well. So Barbara, I want to come back to you because you like we mentioned, just open. You initially thought you'd just grow grapes and mm -hmm. maybe you just, you know, sell wine. And now you do a whole lot more. You know, yeah. it's one thing to consider doing all of these different products, but what made you actually go through with adding all the different product lines for your launch, which you launched, you know, like I said, in October yeah. of this year? Because we're idiots. No. Um, <laughs> I feel that. It <laughs> feels the same way, I am sure. Um, we just thought where we were located in the county, we're in a very rural county. Um, we are 45 minutes from Richmond, we're 45 minutes from Charlottesville. Richmond has a huge crowd scene, um, but a lot of people don't live in the immediate area. They're kind of out in the suburbs, just the way it works. Um, Charlottesville is known for obviously it's wine, world-class place to be. So we're kind of in the middle of both of those. Um, and in our county that we're in, there's not a lot of um, development yet on the eastern side of that county. So when we bought the land, um, we just kind of thought this, we did a traffic study because we needed to get a driveway. And we found that over 3,000 people pass in front of us at any one time. Well, not at any one time, throughout the course of the day, because that would be chaos. Um, and a lot of, it's a bedroom community for both Charlottesville and Richmond. So the other big part of our model is stay open late. Most, um, most wineries in the area close by six on the weekends. Um, we're open till eight, um, Friday and Saturday and seven until Sunday. So we are definitely pulling in people that are just not ready to end their day or some of them just starting their day um, as far as going out and having fun with friends. Uh, and again, the really big thing is 
so many people are going out in groups and not everyone wants to drink wine. Not everyone wants to drink meat. Not everyone wants to drink cider. Not everyone wants to drink beer. So to have an offering of all three, we kind of felt we'd keep get people in and keep them there longer um, to just hit on everything. We're not as big as you are, Cameron. Um, we'll, we'll only the max we'll ever have, I believe, is is 14 different things on on our our long lines. Um, the most wine we'll ever have in offering is probably just eight different types. So we're going to keep things pretty tight and hopefully move product quickly. Um, and we'll get a better idea of what people are really interested in and what they like and, and how their tastes evolve. So that's kind of how we did it. Barbara, I'd say never, I'd say never say never, because you know, you never thought you'd be selling all these products and now you are. So let's see what happens. You know, yeah. because you just opened, you know, what has surprised you the most so far since launch? Um, our first weekend was absolutely insane. Um, we have a, a, a substantial size tasting room, um, not a huge parking lot, but over that, and we were only open on Saturday and Sunday, we had well over 600 people come and say hello, which was yeah. phenomenal. Um, and then since then, things have slowed down to a more reasonable pace. Maybe a little too slow right now, but you know, given the holidays, it's completely understandable. We're still doing fine. Um, but I think what really surprised us is that we've already had a lot of repeat business, which I, I, I guess I really wasn't expecting. I thought people would come, check it out, see what it's like, and kind of move on. Um, but we've seen a number of people come back three weekends already, and we've only been open for six. So I think that's really encouraging. Um, people have been really welcoming, like I said, and even the other, we're part of this, um, it's called a fermentation farm trail. There's six venues um, and we're a little bit different in our business model in that all of the venues grow something that they put into their product. So there are three wineries, two breweries, a cidery. So, and all of them are growing something that they do put into their their own product that they're making. Um, we are going to be starting to grow some barley next spring. So we'll be able to use that for our beer as well. Um, apple, we do have apple trees, but as you know, again, cider is a wine product in the way the laws are in Virginia. We are covered with the amount of grapes that we grow and having five apple trees. So we're, we're good there. Um, but I was really, you know, it's a pretty small ge geological area. Um, we can get to all six, like within 20 minutes of each other. So we weren't sure how they were going to see that as competition, but they've been really welcoming and have been sending people our way. We're sending people their way. Um, so every business owner has been really supportive of having a new venture, which I think is surprising, probably the biggest surprise that that we've encountered. So well, that's fantastic to hear. And it's fantastic. You've had so many repeat customers. I mean, hearing that people have come on three out of six weekends so far, you must be doing right. And we'll dive into a little bit, you know, I bet by offering so many different products, you become more of a one stop shop for many families who are looking for all of the above. And we're going to talk about that soon. But mm -hmm. Clay, I, I bet you can relate a little bit to, you know, growing a lot on, in one spot. Yeah, yeah. Um... You're talking about growing on the farm. I mean, you started as a blueberry farm, correct? Oh, as, a, as the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, the, the business has been through many iterations. It started as a, as a plant nursery actually. Uh, and then went to blueberries in the mid nineties. Uh, my father was one of the first ones to do that in Florida. Uh, and then just with the extra blueberries laying around, he said, well, I bet you can make wine with this and um, started doing that in his kitchen. So, uh, and we still make those, those three, uh, three to five uh, blueberry wines a year as well as all kinds of other stuff. Our, our bestseller in the wine side now is a sangria. And then we do a Pinot Noir with, uh, with raspberry, blueberry, blackberry. We call it wildberry uh, Pinot Noir, uh, our second bestseller. So yeah, that's uh, growing like crazy. And then we're, or has grown like crazy. And then we, we've seen a lot of growth recently in cider. Um, I think it's just a lot, uh, you know, we don't have as much competition. A lot of the big guys got out of it and got into seltzer. Um, not a lot of competition locally. Uh, or even in the state of Florida, you know, friends of mine that are doing it, but they're more boutique. -y. Um, so yeah, we're seeing exponential growth in cider, which is great. And what made you add beer into the mix? Uh, it's a great question. You know, um, we kind of became, so the story is Cigar City Brewing, uh, got into making cider about 10, 11 years ago. And, uh, you know, I got to know Joey and, uh, Joey Redner and all the guys at Cigar City and, 
And, uh, you know, I kind of got into the craft beer scene with them and my winemaker did too. And, and, you know, as we were making the cider for them, they kind of helped us start making beer. Uh, I actually brewed the first beer I ever brewed in my life in 2011 at Cigar City uh, on their original brew system. And, uh, and I was kind of hooked from there. You know, my dad was the wine guy. I was the beer guy. And, uh, and I kind of pushed build, building the brewery. Uh, and ever since, you know, so that was 10 years ago. And, um, you know, we, we use the brewery as another way to kind of uh, showcase Florida fruits, which is what, what we do in all of our, in all of our products. So when you and personally, brewery, I'm drinking beer if it's my choice. I like it. When you launched a brewery, how big was your system? Seven barrels. We still have the same seven barrel system out there. It's, it's not long for this world. Um, Chinese built electric seven barrel system. Um, I think we're going to have to make some changes soon. We got plans in the works, um, but you know, not bad. 10 years, we're still using the same system. And we added fermenters and grew the brewery like a lot of people maybe did. And, and then we've kind of shrank it back down um, just because, you know, so much competition and distribution. And uh, we looked at, you know, kind of 80-20 and um, we weren't making a, uh, that much money in distribution with beer. We reeled that in and and focused on tasting room uh, and then very select distribution on the beer, uh, which is, I think, was a great move. That was maybe four years ago we made that choice and looking at pictures of your farm it looks absolutely gorgeous so i'm sure you know having that beer offered on site just only adds to the experience and creates it more accessible to more guests yeah yeah and, and we have seen uh beer demand you know as as relative sales to the other stuff we sell you know wine and cider we're kind of we're seeing cider grow wine's kind of static and but beer is growing uh really well over the last year or so um which is good stuff i think you know we made a brewer change uh, and, and since Kyle's been here, you know, the, the, the beers have been, have been flying out. So he's doing an amazing job. And Clay, if you had to give rough numbers of what percentage of sales, like your cider, wine, beer take up, what would those numbers be? Uh, for on site, we're probably around, uh, 60%, uh, wine. And then, um, I would say the cider and the beer kind of share the other, the other 40%. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Now, yeah, Tamara, you're not making wine, you're, you're making mead, you know, I'd love to learn a little bit more of that backstory of one, how you came to want to open a meadery in Georgia. Well, a lot of people might not at that time know much about mead. So how did that even transpire? Uh, well, I guess I'll do the short story. Um, so I actually lived in Virginia. Um, no way. What part? Uh, near DC. I was right. up in the Max area. So okay. yeah, when you guys are talking, I was like, Oh yeah. Next time I go up there, back. my sister lives up there. So I'll definitely come try and visit you guys. <laughs> um, so uh, my brother is actually the one that started the business. Um, we started our licensing in 2015. It took us a full year to get completely licensed um, because obviously nobody knew what a meadery was in the state of Georgia. Um, there was one other meadery, but they weren't a farm winery, uh, which is what we were going for. Um, that gives us, uh, as, as you guys know, because you have farms, um, that gives us more capabilities of things that we can do, uh, more tasting rooms and stuff like that. Um, some of which we had to give up actually when we opened the brewery because of the way that the laws were. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so they actually talked me into moving down to Georgia and um, starting the business up. So I moved down here in about in 2016 and we opened uh, March of 2016. Um, so our licenses, we were officially licensed in 2015. Um, the meadery started with my brother as a home brewer. Um, he did not like beer. And he did not like, he doesn't like um, sparkling anything. Um, so he was at like a medieval reenactment type thing and they had a bunch of meat at it. And uh, he loved it and found out how easy it is to make and um, started the journey there. Um, we always say that it's really easy to throw honey water and yeast into a bucket. And uh, it's the only naturally occurring thing that can happen. You know, uh, in, out, out in nature, you can find meat on its own. Um, but, uh, it's, it's a very difficult thing to perfect, uh, as, as you all know, making wines and ciders and beers, um, anybody can throw it into a bucket, but getting it to a point where everybody wants some is a different story. <laughs> I can agree to that as a home brewer, I dabbled in meat a little bit quite some time ago, and I still have a few of those original bottles in my pantry because I just don't really have the urge to grab them. So I'm sure you're doing a much better job. Yeah. So we're, we're, uh, our, so they moved me down here actually to work on their marketing. Um, but now I'm, uh, I'm, I'm the chief operating officer. Um, I also run the production, um, somewhat, I don't run it anymore. 
Um, but uh, I, I've come up with uh, a couple of our award-winning flavors and stuff. Uh, our, our I like how you just threw in award-winning flavors. <laughs> like, you know, small little brag <laughs> there. <laughs> all right. Well, our best seller is, is a pear almond mead. Um, it's called Bliss. And um, it, it's pretty funny because, like, I came up with it because I used to make this this, this dessert called a pear frangipan tart. So it's pears and almonds and stuff. And we had some pears that we needed to do something with. So I was like, oh, let's throw this together. And it turns out like it's the number one seller. It's the best mead in Georgia five years in a row. So wow. um, they've, they've had me make more meads now than some of the other stuff. <laughs> well, that's awesome. So you mentioned you're in a newer facility now. Did you mm -hmm. expand because you wanted to add beer into the mix or what was the you know transition that was, like? What that was that part of the reason. Yeah. Um, I had wanted to do that for pretty much since the beginning, quite honestly, because um, up in Virginia, as as you all know, um, there's a lot of um, wineries up there that have added beer for that reason to keep people, you know, on premises or stay longer, or you can invite a bigger group of people because there's more offerings and stuff like that. But um, our facility was 1500 square feet front to back. That included the tap room, that included all of the production area. Um, so there was no room to add anything else into it. <laughs> um, even here, uh, we're, we're already, the tap room, the way that the demising walls were already put in place here, uh, the tap room is a little bit bigger than the production area. Um, if I could move the tap room to be a little bit smaller, I would probably do that. Um, but I'm not changing <laughs> the demising wall. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, the the that was the start of it, yeah. And Tamara, one other unique thing that differentiates you between Clay and Barbara is, you know, you operate under two separate brand names. You have Mandatory Fun Beer Works for the beer side, and you have mm -hmm. Alchemist Meadery for the meat side. You know, why mm -hmm. did you all choose to go with two different brands? Uh, that was kind of my push for it because um, I think they're two different things. Um, they're, they're two completely different things. So um, initially, the, the brewery is supposed to be just in-house. Um, but me, how do I explain this the easiest way? Meteries have a, um, very renaissance and, um, medieval fair type connotation with it. And it's our goal to kind of update that a little bit, um, to kind of make mead more of a household option. You know, it, our meads are actually, most of them are off dry. Um, so they're not the overly sweet meads that you might have tried before. Um, our, our ciders are actually all still too. We don't make any sparkling ciders. Um, so that's, that's always a, a surprise when people try our ciders. Um, as mentioned before, my brother hates sparkling. So <laughs> if he ever has a vote, it's usually not a sparkling one. Um, so, uh, I decided to, that we needed to brand the brewery differently. Um, so that way, if people are just searching for a brewery, uh, they'll, the mandatory fund beer works will pop up on its own as opposed to Viking Alchemist meadery and brewery and cidery and, you know, whatever else the ands might be. Um, so we do get people in that had just found the brewery and then they're like, oh, look at all this other stuff you guys have. So awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. Now, not that your model has a lot of ands in it, Clay, but, you know, Keel Farms yeah. does a lot. You know, for what reason, you know, have you all seen success with keeping it under one family brand? Yeah, that was kind of my change. Actually, we weren't always that way. Um, I, I moved back from another brewery. I started up in Buffalo about four years ago and took the company over my father. And we had two different brands. The, the, the winery brand is much larger and much more established. Uh, Keel and Curly Winery. Curly is my grandmother's maiden name, so it's all technically our family. Um, and then the, the brewery was Two Henry's Brewing Company. Uh, which was, uh, you know, the, the two guys that basically started Florida, Henry Plant, Henry Flagler. So there was kind of like a, a historical link there. Uh, but, you, you know, I, I wanted to kind of move the brand a little more to a family destination. And I thought the idea of calling the place Keel Farms once again, because that's what it was called, you know, in 1982, um, it would do that. So pretty much what we did was we changed the location to Keel Farms. We changed the beer brand and the cider brands to Keel, Keel Farms, which is Keel Farms Agrarian Ales and Ciders. Um, so that, you know, there is that link there, that, that Keel is in all the names. Um, and, and, you know, there is still some confusion with, um, you know, why do you have Keel and Curly Winery and then you have Keel Farms? And then, you know, my grandmother wasn't super psyched that I, uh, I took her name out of some of the branding. 
but uh, I think it, I think it's worked out. So now it's kind of like Keel and Curly Winery at Keel Farms. No, that, that makes sense. Now, Barbara, how about you? You know, why did you decide to keep it under? Is it the Everly? Am I saying it correctly? Yeah, Everly. Mm -hmm. um, because originally we were just an LLC with the Everly. Um, that's what the farm was under. That's what we were growing. We were just going to do the vineyard um, and then have the winery. And then when we added the cidery and the beer, we're like, well, it's, it was too difficult with ABC laws to try to brand it. So now it's Everly Vineyards and Brewing Company, which kind of incorporates all three aspects of it. Um, and again, it's our, that is our cider maker and our beer maker. Um, our third son is getting his distribution license. Um, so he'll be Everly Distribution. So, but clarity um, and to make the kids realize that it's ours, um, that it would just be easier to kind of keep it under one umbrella. Okay, because I actually don't know. Your last name is Evers, so why Everly? So Lee, L-E-I-G-H, is Gaelic for healer or open meadow. Um, when we bought the farm, it did have an open field, two of them, which is where we ended up planting um, our grapes and we'll plant our barley. And my husband's real job is as a physician. So we kind of mm. have both. Um, nice. And it sounds kind of pretty when it's all together. And on a side note, I have probably met no fewer than five people that have said they named a daughter, a granddaughter, a niece with the name Everly spelt the same way, which I'm like, well, that's kind of interesting. I don't know how you shorten that, but. Okay. Yeah. I so, feel like you have to lock them in now for like weddings in like 2040. You really <laughs> just gotta get them to sign some sort of contract. Yeah. So our daughter's name is Jordan, and we bought a case of Jordan wine um, in her birth year um, a number of years ago, and it's still pretty good. I'm not sure um, our new wine will last that long for them to turn 21 and enjoy it, but it is kind of fun that they've come and bought it um, at their birth year. So it's kind of a neat little side note. My brother's name is Josh, and I know there's a winery called sure. Josh something or other. I think he's got tired of that joke probably a decade ago. But, you know, it's fun to give him a bottle every now and then when you don't know what he wants. Yeah, it works out well. <laughs> now, Barbara, one thing you mentioned when you decided to open up, you wanted to open up and do multiple brands and multiple liquids because of the synergies. What are some of the synergies between the beverages that you've experienced or hope to experience? Um, So kind of like uh, Tamara says – our wines are very dry. Um, that's the type that my husband and I kind of prefer. So we have very very little residual sugar in any of our wines. Um, but we kind of found that um, new wine drinkers, shall we say, um, tend to prefer something a little sweeter. So having the cider, although it can be the one that we first made is pretty dry, you and that kind of does give um, people that opportunity if they want something sweet to have that. So that's kind of a good play for us. Um, again, it is a wine product, so we can kind of incorporate that into flights of wine that we're doing. We can switch out, you know, a Cab Franc if that's not what they're interested in and want something sweet, we can offer a cider instead. And then, you know, the beer is just, they're very, you know, there, there are a number of people that are will not try wine, don't like wine, and want to drink a beer. And on a hot summer day, that's what they want. Um, and then there's the reverse. There are people that are like, hey, there's no way am I going to drink a beer. I just, so I think to be able to play off both of those wants um, is really helped us kind of been so welcoming. Are you able to produce both beverages in the same facility? Yes. But again, you know, Virginia ABC is very exciting. So. Um, so our cold storage has to be separated with a door. Um, our bonded space has to be clearly printed. Um, so our cider and our beer are all on long line. Um, so we have to put a bonded space where the beer is being held um, to keep cold. It doesn't affect the coldness too much with the cider, um, but it has to be clearly demarked. Um, the, the fermenting tanks that we're using for if we're using it for cider one day, it needs to be clearly marked that it's being used for cider. And then we can remove the velvet ropes and now we can use the same tank to ferment our beer. So we have to have a separate office for our wine than we do for our beer. You have to have a separate office. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so that was kind of like, you've got to be kidding me. Um, 
So, but and then they were like, well, it just needs to be like a closet. I'm like, okay, fine. We have a closet. That's what we need. Um, so, so that part of it has been somewhat frustrating. Um, the, the other frustrating part of it is distribution. Um, there is for wine, as I think you know, uh, Virginia wine distribution. So we can kind of, on a small scale, run wine through that if we want to send it out to restaurants or, or other people. And there's a small charge for that versus going through a distributor. There is no such thing in place for beer right now. I think there, there's something in the works, but who knows when that'll happen. Um, which is why our, our one of our sons is going to get his distribution license. So we're not locked into a huge contract with a local distributor that cannot get out of and lose so much money um, doing that. And that, I mean, that is a very long-term goal. We are probably not going to be distributing for a number of years yet, but um, especially the year, but it's just something that takes a while to get in place and then we'll be ready for it. So We'll kind of see how it happens. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. Now, Tamara, one thing you mentioned early on is you said that, including yourself, everyone on staff is a mead maker. Do you still have everyone involved in the mead making process? Or, you know, what synergies exist between your staff and production and just the overall, you know, branding experience? Yeah, we actually do. Um, so it started with um, the year that we couldn't get licensed or the year that we were working on all of our licensing. Um, you can still give away alcohol for free. Um, so what we would do is every Wednesday night, we would be open to the public. And, um, that's how we figured out our first, um, brands that we were going to launch with is they would get a free flight, but they would have to fill out a survey saying what they liked about it, what they didn't like about it. Um, so now we do, um, staff contests. Um, so, uh, mead day, which I'm sure you all celebrate every year. Um, <laughs> it's the first Saturday in August, just in case you didn't know. Um, but, uh, so every, every year we do a staff contest and, um, essentially it'll be, we've done different things. So sometimes I'll say here, take, everybody has to use this base and then you can add, um, fruits or whatever, however you want to do it. Um, but everybody has to use the same base. So that way there's a starting field. Um, and, um, and then that'll be the free flight for me day and same thing. It's a free flight, but you have to fill out a survey. Um, so last year <laughs> the staff, um, uh, there were some, we always have a comment section. Uh, so there were some very interesting comments and they did, they asked me if they could do a, uh, you, have you guys ever watched the mean tweets that uh, mm. actors do? Okay. So, they, so they did some uh, mean comments. Uh, they did a video of each of them and, and reading off some of the funny comments and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so in the winter, I forget what, we usually get like some silly goblet or something like that, that the winner gets um, and uh, post that up on social media. And that mead usually gets made again. Um, I actually told all of the staff this year, they were all good. So I was like, if any of you want to remake it um, and make a bigger batch or play with it a little bit more, feel free. Um, so we're actually doing a, um, a contest for all of the owners this year. We have uh, six owners. Um, so for our anniversary this year, we're doing a contest uh, and that'll be the free flight for our anniversary. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fun. Uh, the customers like it. They feel like they're involved in the process um, and the staff gets to have fun with making it and they get to see the process of how it's made a little bit better. Um, it's easier for them to explain to customers how meat is made. <laughs> All the education for both staff and guests. So important. We actually stopped hiring bartenders because we need customer service reps. I need somebody that can explain to people what meat is. Um, so our last posting for for bartenders would actually our taproom manager called it a what do you call it a bard tender so if you know what a bard is yeah. <laughs> uh yeah so and then the description was customer service all I'm that not kind sure of stuff. i understand sorry siri, okay. siri doesn't know what it is yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> i was almost going to make a joke about you hiring people directly from renaissance fairs who already know but you kind of made it for me <laughs> <laughs> Now, Tamara, is everyone on your team also a beer brewer or what kind of separation do you have between production roles? Uh, we have one beer brewer right now, um, and that has been an interesting process. Uh, so we're probably going to hire uh, uh, another one um, just for you know continuity's sake and, and having backup and stuff like that. Uh, no, they are not all brew. They're mead makers. <laughs> um, it is a different process. Uh, mead 
is far, like I said earlier, it's far simpler. Um, you're not boiling anything. Um, there's no mash. There's, there's none of that. So um, it is, it is in a lot of ways, it's a much simpler and more streamlined process than, than brewing beer. Um, less messy. <laughs> you share much equipment? Are you able to? Uh, the tanks. Yeah, we'll share that. Do you have but, to go through the process like Barbara does where you have to like, you know, put a rope around it and say it's, you know, here for a cider today, beer tomorrow. Just <laughs> kind of. Um, yeah, we have to, when they come for the inspections. Yeah, there it's definitely like that. Oh, um, <laughs> no, it's, it's the tanks and the stuff. They're separated. Um, and if we're using one vice versa, you know, if, if one is being a, brew, a beer tank or a, a mead tank, um, we we typically denote that in some way um it's not as bad and we actually i was remembering one of the reasons we didn't open the brewery sooner was not just because of the space but um the laws here in georgia um didn't really allow for um us to have both uh yeah. there was yeah there was a new law that passed i want to say like four years ago um and it was it was almost breweries here in georgia couldn't actually sell their own products to their customers mm -hmm. um they had to yeah clay you've probably been to georgia uh, you're close enough. <laughs> I've heard about it. Yeah, yeah I definitely heard about the battles in, in Georgia. Oh, it was awful. They would sell. Um, if you came to the brewery, you would get. Um, you would you would buy a tour pass, and it would come with tickets, and then you would turn in your tickets after your tour, and be able to get beer. Um, but they you couldn't take home anything or anything like that. So crazy. Um, yeah, it was insane. Yeah, glad um, things are better now. Yeah, it's a little better. It's funny because like I can sell a keg of mead. Um, because it falls under the winery laws. Um, but I think we can only sell, I think it's like 256 ounces of beer at a time. So really? yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Like it's gotten better. <laughs> <laughs> no, Clay, you know, the farm's been there 40 years. I think you started selling wine in the early 2000s. You added beer about a decade ago. You know, I love to hear some of the synergies within your business model, but also, you know, some of the differences that you face between each brand and keeping them separate. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think everything that, that Tamara and Barbara are saying, you know, I echo, we have to, you know, we have to separate things and, and uh, physically, geographically. We also, my wife actually runs uh, our wine distribution, uh, one of our wine distribution companies. Um, so we, we kind of play that game too. Uh, and that's a separate building uh, for, for that purpose. Uh, but yeah, no, we, um, you know, we're mostly making wine here uh, and, and a little bit of cider. We're, we're somewhere around 600,000 bottles of wine. Um, so it's a lot. So seven, seven or eight people are making wine or bottling wine pretty much every day. Uh, then another couple people make, you know, packaging cider. We're doing cider in cans and, and the canning machine is running three days a week or so. Um, and then in the brewery, you know, small amount, five to 600 barrels a year. Um, really one guy, uh, doing all that work, uh, minus maybe the keg washing and whatnot. But yeah, certainly. I mean, I, I think where it really helps us to have all these smart people, um, is when we're coming up with new flavors and new varieties. Uh, and I'll give you an example. We're a partner with the Florida State Fair, which is a big fair in Tampa. Uh, 50,000, 100,000 people go, maybe more. Big marketing opportunity for us. We kind of take over one of their bars and we make a special cider for them. And, and last year, I think it was, um, uh, we've done cotton candy, we've done elephant ear, we've done, and you know, that takes 30, 40 iterations of trying different combinations. Cotton candy of cider and an elephant ear cider. Right. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you have a brewer and his background and, and adjuncts and different flavorings and, and then you have the winemaker and his background and, and how to ferment things and, and, you know, what, what different grape profiles and yeasts and everything can do. Um, I think that synergy is really valuable to us. And, you know, we make a lot of sweet products. Um, so we're a, a little more reliant on all kinds of different ingredients to get to the flavors, you know, that we want uh, and a little less reliant, maybe, on the raw materials, you know, the apple, the, the grapes, the, you know, the, the raw materials on the brewing side. So I think, um, yeah, I think as far as synergies go, definitely, definitely that. And then we have a lot of brain power when it comes to educating our staff and setting up our bars and, and running our restaurant and all that. So we try to, you know, it never all seems to come together perfectly and from every angle, but if you get most of them right, uh, then, then, you know, we're creating a, a good customer experience and that's, that's what we're going for every day. 
Yeah, let's dive in now more that education component you all have mentioned. Clay, you just touched on, you know, having meetings where you bring people together. It's great probably to have your head cider maker and your head brewer just share ideas to craft the, the perfect cotton candy cider or whatever <laughs> it may be. So I, I think having that brain trust is really important. And Tamara, you know, you've mentioned it earlier about the importance of education. I'd love to hear what you're doing on your staff side to make sure your staff is knowledgeable about all your products. We're going to dive into guests in a little bit, but how do you make sure your team knows your story, knows about your products, and is able to you know understand that before they even speak to the guests? That's that's been an interesting process because um, we didn't actually have staff until uh, just before COVID. We've we've had one or two here and there, but we ran everything up until then. So. One of the things that we've realized over the past couple of years is they don't know the origins of how each of the things were made or like how they came about and that kind of stuff. So um, I've been having like I'll have staff meetings where I'll talk about a particular meet and we'll talk about how the first creation of it, where it came from, the origin of it so that they can have a better experience when they're talking to the customers and stuff. Will there um, be a quiz following that, you know, lesson? Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't do that. <laughs> um, we did have to do that with the beer, though, um, because most of the staff was hired prior to um, us opening the brewery. And um, they all loved mead and wines and ciders and stuff like that. But um, a lot of them don't particularly like beer. Um, so that's been a really um, interesting process, getting them to understand what the different types of beers are. Um, I'm pretty fortunate. My taproom manager used to work at a, um, uh, a growler shop and loves beer. So um, he loves all the different styles and stuff like that and has done a lot of education with it. Um, so recently I've been looking at the Cicerone program um, to see just like the entry level, um, having them go through that so they can understand a little bit better. Um, on the mead side, um, we'll do, we haven't done it yet, but um, we're working on putting together a sensory tasting with different honeys and stuff like that so they can understand. Um, it's it's a lot like grapes or barley and, and um, hops and stuff like that, where there's just a ton of different honeys out there and they produce different um, flavors in the end product. Um, so if they can see where it starts from, they can understand a little bit better in the end. Um, I do like them if they can um, to come help us bottle because that also helps them understand like the, the entire process um, and customers love hearing about all those little things. Um, so it, it, the education portion is, is evolving for sure. How do you overcome the staff member who's so passionate about weed, uh, mead, not weed? <laughs> you guys are leaving now. We're not here. Well, we've had coffee. We've had distilling. We've got we wine, mead. We might as well have that one next. So, <laughs> mead, no. mead is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to mead with the M there, you know, how do you take the staff members who aren't very excited about beer and, you know, get them at least able to properly explain it to a customer. You talk a little bit about it, but, you know, when you don't enjoy a product, I imagine it's a little bit harder to sell it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so they definitely have their favorites. Um, the, you know, the stouts and porters, they tend to like a little bit better because they're on the sweeter side and they're a little bit more like mead. Um, one of the other reasons we started the brewery is because um, in order to make a mead called a braggot, which is a mixture of mead and beer, um, we had to have a brewery license in order to do so. Um, so once we kind of opened the doors of the options that they could mix beer with mead, um, that kind of gave them kind of carte blanche to be able to create a whole bunch of different flavors. Um, so at that point they started, um, really getting on board with the idea of beer being good. <laughs> um, the other part of it was if it's not a beer that they like, um, so let's just take a Kolsch for example, um, if they understand what a Kolsch is supposed to taste like, when they're talking to a customer about what they might like, um, they can recommend it based on, they understand what a Kolsch is supposed to taste like. So they can say, oh, that sounds like those flavors. We have a thing that does that. Can you, do you want to try it? Um, and I've always told them, you can always give people, we have little two ounce taster cups, like go ahead and give them a taste of something. Like I would much rather have a customer try a couple of things before they commit to a pint or a flight or something like that um, and have them be upset about their purchase, then, you know, then not. So yeah, it's all about helping the customer find what's right for them. Exactly. No play at your business. You know, how do you make sure your team is properly educated on everything that you're offering? Uh, it's a, it's kind of a propaganda machine. I mean, 
it, it should only because of our size, you know, and, and you know, we have a sales team, we have a mar activation marketing team out on the streets. We have uh, about 75 people working in the, in the restaurant and tasting room. Um, so it, it, internal communication is actually quite a bit of a challenge. Uh, you know, we do, a, I do a newsletter every month that goes out to everybody and gets posted that talks about what's coming and what's in it. Um, you know, new, new flavor sheets, you know, kind of like a product sheet uh, goes out for any new products. Uh, monthly training in the tasting room, they, they close down and do training there. They, they do meetings all week, every, you know, I'm sorry, shift meetings every day, big one on Fridays. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we kind of discovered and, and I, I tell my leaders this, that you have to say, you know, talk and train and teach way more than you think you do. You know, you think you said it, you didn't say it. You got to keep doing it and keep doing it, keep doing it. So, um, you know, we've put in place a lot of systems that help with that. We use seven shifts for, you know, scheduling our staff in the tasting room. You can also use that to get messages out to everybody. Um, you know, th there's tools like that, that, that help a lot. We've, we've done some online training, you know, where we've recorded it and put it out there and tracked who took it and who didn't. And, you know, maybe with mixed results. Um, but, you know, as much as you can get everybody working through in different parts of the organization, um, that that really seems to help as well, because they're going to they kind of talk, you know, throughout the day, throughout their shifts. If they work in the brewery for a couple of days, you know, or they're, and then they're a tour guide and the tour guides talk to the bartenders and, and the brewers up there and the production guys go up and I buy them a few beers. They do that. We do that every Friday. They're hanging out in the tasting room talking to the bartenders. So it's a little bit of all of that and, and try to just have everybody curious and passionate about the products. And that's an ongoing challenge, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, Barbara, how about you? What are the strategies, one that you kind of thought you were going to try prior to launching and now have put into impact you know, since you've launched just a few weeks ago? So we're, you know, a little bit different. We only have four different types of wine right now, so it's pretty easy. Um, we did have a tasting with our bartenders. We're again, we're a pretty tight group. So most of it is family. Um, we have a few that are paid staff, not that I don't pay in the family, but um, that are outside of the family. So we had a training session. We had a tasting session with them. My husband is pretty passionate about it. So they got tasting notes. Um, and we're, you know, either myself or my husband are always there. So if they have a question, we can answer it. Um, we haven't made ourselves very knowledgeable on the beer yet because it's not ours. Um, so we have a general idea, like someone says, which I don't know how many of this has happened to you. I want something that tastes like a Bud Light. Okay, you're in a craft brewery. It's going to be a little challenging to get that. But so you're looking for something light. So we kind of point them in one direction. Um, and we do the same thing that that uh, that you all do. We let them taste something before they commit to um, to something. And we haven't had too many problems with that. Um, I don't know how we're going to handle it, to be perfectly honest. Um, once we have all of ours up and running, I think just by the nature of the beast, how slowly some of these things get into the tasting room. By that time, we'll have a better idea of the taste profile, the yeast that we've used, where we've sourced the material, um, which is pretty important to us. We kind of like to give our customers a, an idea of, of where the stuff is coming from. We're trying to use as much local product as possible. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, it'll be... No, uh, we're talking about... All three of you today, is it fair to assume that someone can buy all of your products at the same bar when visiting your tasting room? Yes. Yes. Clay, how about you? Okay, can you say that one more time? I'm sorry. Are, are people able to purchase a wine, cider, or beer at the same location? There's different parts of your tasting room that they have to visit. Yeah, we do kind of have um, a beer and cider bar, you know, that's a little more like you might see at a craft brewery, a little more casual, a little more laid back. Uh, and then on the other side is the the sort of more formal, uh, you know, granite counter. Uh, all, all of our wines are behind it with the metals hanging on them. You know, like you see at every winery, I guess. Um, that's that's the tasting bar, right? So if you want that that intimate sit down or stand there, I don't let people sit, but the stand there and have a, a, a formal tasting where the person talks you through each product. Uh, we have that. On the left and then on the right is a little more uh the craft beer bar but you can we do do mixed flights so you know you can get a flight that is some cider some beer some wine some cider and 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 mix it up and i think people really like that flexibility 
That is really neat. So Clay, you know, do you see much overlap between the customers who are purchasing each beverage or is it more so a way just to keep people's attention longer by bringing the whole family in? It's a great question. It's a great question. And, and you know, one of the ch things that I thought I, I was hoping would come up is sort of the demographic challenges we have um, because we're the biggest in wine, the next biggest product is cider and, and both very different demographic than the, the craft beer person, right? Like our, I can tell you we're, we're mostly uh, 25 to 55 women. Um, that's, that's who's following the Keel and Curly winery brand. Um, and, it, and it's, sometimes it's challenging to separate that and, and seem cool to like a craft beer guy, right? No matter how good the beer is and how good of a job we're doing. Um, and, and that's a, that's a challenge. Um, but I, I think to answer your question, it is mixed. When a group comes in, you tend to kind of have the folks that are going right to the beer uh, or right to the cider, right to the wine. But I am seeing a lot of younger men uh, under 25 that are really uh, moving over to the cider side because they, you know, they went straight from drinking uh, flavored Red Bull or whatever energy drink with whatever lifesaver was in it um, straight into drinking White Claw. Right. And they never had a Miller Lite or or whatever. They're going to go to a cider or they're going to go to a mead. Um, I think quicker than they're going to go over to an IPA. Uh, so that's been a, a big shift that I've seen in the last in the last few years, which is really, that's a really interesting observation, Clay. So, you know, looking at what you've created with Keel Farms and the demographics that come there, you know, there's so many different kinds of beer out there. You could go chasing the haziest of hazy beers, but it sounds like someone's coming to your place for an overall experience. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, we are we are providing that farm experience where, and most of our customers are, you know, unfortunately, uh, Tampa Bay area and most of Florida where people live is big box stores. My house looks just like the person's next to me, and and you know every day that's what they live in, right? So even though we're only twenty five miles from the coast, we're a whole different experience compared to that. You know, we we have animals and we have a big pond with a gator swimming around in it. We have chickens running around and we have, you know, there's trees around and, and you can see the plants in the ground. And, you know, that's a very different experience than, than pretty much every other uh, craft brewery or cider uh, manufacturer in this area. So we're definitely giving that experience. And that's why we make sure that the, the wine, beer, cider and the food offerings kind of fit that, that brand uh, throughout the whole, the whole uh, list of options. Very cool. I haven't been to Florida in a long time, but it sounds like I need to visit. Yes, sir. Please. Now, Tamara, on to you, you know, mead and beer, you know, what overlap do you see between the customers, you know, having one and both or one or the other? Uh, quite honestly, when we first opened as just the meadery, we got a lot of craft beer um, people coming in. Uh, we found that people that were really into craft beer were more adventurous. They wanted to try the new thing first. Um, so being um, really the only meadery that had a tasting room at the time, uh, it was, we actually listed us as like in Yelp and all that. We, uh, the hashtags we used was all brewery. I didn't use meadery or winery for anything because I wanted, not a lot of people are gonna be looking for a meadery. Um, more people are gonna be looking for craft beer and craft cider, that kind of stuff. Um, so uh, so yeah, we actually got a lot of um, crafts beer guys coming in. Um, so opening the brewery was kind of nice because of that. Um, Have you we turned were... on a lot of craft beer drinkers to mead? I would like to think yes. That's <laughs> what I wanted to hear. No, Barbara, you know, how about on your end? You, you opened offering both, you know, do you find that as you alluded to earlier, people are just coming for that overall experience. So it's just a perk to have them in one spot, or do you see much overlap even just thus far in people who are drinking your wine and wanting to have beer or vice versa? Um, I think a lot of people are drawn to us because we do offer um, a wide variety of, of different things. Um, the biggest and I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but there's a lot of young family, I mean, young families with like little kids that are showing up at these places, whereas I'm older than all of you. That was just never a thing when um, when my kids were little. Um, so it is surprising to me the number of um, people under two feet that are running around. So we um, we're pretty cognizant of that. So um, what we chose to do is our outdoor space and our first floor is family friendly, go have fun. But we do have a second floor that is strictly um, no one under the age of 18 is um, is allowed up there to kind of 
separate because there are a lot of people that want to go out for a date and they don't want to have the kids screaming and the dogs running around. So, so we've kind of separated that. And that has, um, I wasn't sure what kind of pushback we were going to get for that, but people actually seem to appreciate the fact that they can have an adult conversation and not have to worry about some little one running around or falling on them. So, you know, we opened at a weird time of year, so it hasn't, I don't think we've really fully appreciate what we've done yet. Um, the first couple weekends were nice, but then the weather kind of turned cold and Thanksgiving and now the holidays. And um, we have a much larger outdoor space than we do an indoor space. So um, we're just going to see where this leads us. And, um, and you know, plan B is always a, an option for us. So we'll see. We'll see how it all turns out. Very cool insight there. Now, I've got one question before we start to wind down. Now, wineries, they often do a great job with wine clubs and similar memberships. I'd love to hear what you all are doing to build loyalty and also how this is translating to you know, the overall business model. And Clay, you know, I'd love to learn a little bit more about what, what Keel is doing in that respect. Yeah, great question. Uh, I think we could do better, to be honest. Uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity there for us. Because um, if you compare us, I don't know if you guys uh, know about the brand Cooper's Hawk. You guys have those in your area, yep. Atlanta? Okay, yep. everybody. Knows. Um, so they do a tremendous job on their loyalty program uh, where they hook people into their wine club and then that gets them to come back and they get their wine. And in and, and, and my humble opinion, you know, you can get probably better wine for the same price at other retailers. But you know, they do a, such a great job roping people into that uh, club. So we do have a wine club, but it's, you know, probably in the low hundreds when it could be, you know, much bigger. Um, but we do local discounts um, for people that live within a short drive. Um, we do, let's see, we um, we do like a rewards program through our POS um, that, that keeps people coming back. Um, so we do a number of little things like that. Uh, there's some gee whiz, you know, marketing and, and digital advertising stuff that that people way smarter than me help us with um, that I think is you could kind of consider a loyalty program. Um, and then um, and yeah, a lot of our customers are, are buying our stuff at grocery. So, you know, that's what I'm tr really trying to grow is getting getting every time they go to the grocery store, they're buying it, you know, and, and that's one of our, our key challenges right now that we're we're working on. And quite frankly, it's kind of challenging when you're up against uh, Stella Rosa and Dolce and Barefoot. Uh, and those guys that are all or a dollar or two dollars cheaper at the grocery store. So um, those are some of our challenges, probably on the rebuy front. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Now, Tamara and Barbara, what are you two doing in the loyalty front? Are there any membership programs that you have, have in place or goals to launch something? Tamara, you go first. <laughs> okay. Uh, we have two different clubs right now. Um, we have a, a quarterly shipment club called uh, the Alchemist Club. So they get three curated picks. It's usually a signature um, a seasonal and then a barrel aged in some sort. Um, so actually I'm working on it right now. Our quarterly for this quarter is a little late because <laughs> we did advent calendars this year, which oh, cool. is amazing, but it's also a huge pain. If you can imagine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can imagine. Packing <laughs> and the packing. Yeah. They're beautiful. I love it. It's great. But yeah, putting it together is awful. Um, and then we have an in-house club uh, that we call the Horn Club, and it's actually a, a drinking horn um, that they keep yes. on the wall. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why not play into it, right? Um, so they're all on the wall when you first walk in, so people see it immediately. Um, so there's usually questions as to how do I get my name up on the wall kind of thing. There's a whole oath that they have to say when they join the club. <laughs> it's, it's a whole thing. That's awesome. Yeah. No, we really play it up. Um, so that has a limit. You have the oath memorized? <laughs> anymore, actually. On the spot. Uh, I was really hoping to put you on the spot on that one. I apologize. Uh, it's a playoff of the Rifleman's Creed. So if you know what that is, <laughs> then Very it's cool. a playoff of that. Um, so I think we're, I think our limit, we, we're actually just revamping it right now. Um, we haven't raised the price on it in six years. Um, so this year we're raising the price on it. Um, and we're getting some software in place to um, better manage it. Uh, so I think we have 250 is the limit on that one. Um, and then the Alchemist Club, like Clay was saying, the 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 other club, I think we could do a lot better on. Um, it, it kind of like we, we do a push like every quarter of, you know, marketing and stuff like that. And we'll get a bunch of people that join. But then we also get a bunch of people that are like, oh, I forgot. I don't want to do it anymore. I have a backstock mm -hmm. of all of these meads I haven't tried yet. So um, mm -hmm. we kind of just stay at the same level instead of increasing it. So 
Um, that's definitely our focus for the next year is the two clubs is um, growing them both um, and growing. Well, we don't need to grow the horn club, but that one uh, maintaining it. And then uh, we just switched to a new POS system last year. Um, so we kind of lost a bunch of the loyalty stuff that we were doing with our old one. Um, so we're going to start a new loyalty program um, that will hopefully get people to come back and use your points kind of thing. Awesome. We're excited to learn more about that, you know, as you keep testing things out. <laughs> now, Barbara, you're up, you know, awesome. recently launched. What are you doing for loyalty thus far and what's in the works? Nothing. So, um, you know, we're small. Um, our vineyard is only four and a half acres right now. And um, we do have the capability of planting more, but even that is, would be a three year turnaround time before we have enough grapes to, or the quality of the grapes would be good enough for us to use in wine. Um, last year we pulled off, for like the last two years, we pulled off 22 tons of grapes, which sounds like a lot, but it only equates to a little over 14,000 bottles. And Clay, that's nothing compared to where you are. Um, so our biggest, you know, we people have asked if we're going to do a wine club, but I think we kind of need to see how popular the tasting room is going to be. We're trying to get most of the people in through the tasting room. I, I would just feel terrible if people came in and I'm like, oh, sorry, we don't have have to give it to our wine club so until we have a better grasp of what our population density is going to be and what our big sellers are going to be um we're just gonna kind of hold off on that and i don't know and you know maybe you do andrew is um i don't know what the legality of um having a loyalty program can i just you know buy to get one free i don't know if we can i'm by no means an expert in loyalty programs i love them more than anything but you definitely need to consult to see what you can do in each state and that comes down to what you can call it what you can offer there's a lot of definitely state specific guidelines worth researching exactly so until you know we were we've just put all of our energy just to getting the doors open um so we're just we're just too new to even contemplate um where we want to take this so okay. Here and I'll once again excited to follow where you do take it. Now, I've got one final question. We're gonna do this one in rapid fire mode. And Clay, because you started off the introduction and you get to go first. And your question is, you know, for anyone who owns a brewery or winery is looking to add the other to their operation, what's the one piece of advice you would give them right now? Uh, great question. I think in my piece of advice would be you have to be all in and you have to make the product and and to the quality level and sell it as if that was the only thing you were doing. And if you can't do that, then, then please don't do it. <laughs> That's great advice. Please don't do it. <laughs> Barbara, how about you? What's that one piece of advice that you would offer thus far? Um, I think people really need to understand the legalities of getting these different licensings and how they are going to affect what your space is. Um, you know, originally when we were just going to do the vineyard and we we're going to do a small little wine, you know, a little cute, tasting room once we started researching um barrel systems and we only have a seven barrel system so it's not a gigantic piece but you know the clearance for that is 13 feet so you can't have a big production area of 13 feet um head height and then just put a cute little tasting room on top of that i mean you're the scale of what you're about to do changes dramatically and unless you're going to have multiple different buildings um that is definitely something that's going to add to cost for production, um, for heating, for spaces, for keeping things cold. Um, I think you really kind of need to look at all of that aspect before you kind of go all in and say, yep, that's what we're going to do. If you're going to do it all in-house. Great insight there, Barbara. And last but not least, Tamara, what piece of advice do you offer to everyone listening in? Uh, I honestly, I echo what Clay and Barbara said. Um, we actually, our, our, uh, um, brew system is only a two barrel system. Um, so it's very small. We, we originally were just never, it was only going to be in-house. And of course that never works out. So Barbara, be careful what you say. <laughs> yeah. We were planning on doing exactly what you said about like, we're not going to distribute. We had a distribute, excuse me, the distributor coming to us, uh, that first year they were looking for meads and they were right. looking for something unique. So you never know what could happen. Um, and honestly, our distribution is what saved us through COVID. Yes. Um, that. So that was that was instrumental in keeping us alive through all of the lockdowns and everything um, here, especially with a new facility and not being able to open a tap room. Um, but yeah, I would say all in, you know, in um, a stellar product. Um, don't be afraid to pull it if it doesn't taste good. 
Yeah, um, staff, listen to your customers. Um, we had some beers that um, had some off flavors to them. And so we pulled them. Um, so it's just, we can't let it, because we started them at different times. Um, our meadery has an excellent reputation. I'm not going to lie about that. I'm very proud of it. Um, so all, all of your award-winning meads, Tamara, great work. <laughs> I should have put those behind me, right? <laughs> As you wear your horn hat. Yeah, yeah with my helmet. <laughs> um, but so when the beers were coming out, they had to be the same standard. Um, so they have to be impeccable. Um, and don't be afraid to pull it. Don't be afraid to listen to what people are saying, um, what they're, what they need, need to see on your taps. I mean, just because you like, um, IPAs that are super hazy and super, you know, bitter and stuff like that doesn't mean that's what your customer wants. So, um, that's what I would say. That's fantastic insight. And we by no means can cover all the unique aspects of operating a winery, brewery, meadery, all in one conversation. But you three have offered fantastic advice. Hope everybody has a little takeaway that they can put into their lives to see more success. So Clay, Barbara, and Tamara, thanks again for joining us today on this fun conversation. I hope to try all of your unique beverages at some point in the future. So cheers, everybody. Thanks cheers. again. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. If you like this content, please subscribe share with other craft beer professionals, and give us a five-star review. Cheers.